It's not every day you encounter a fiery presence in a burning bush. But have you ever wondered exactly who Moses was talking to? Today on The Voice of Prophecy, the truth about the burning bush. I don't know if you've ever lived in the desert, but if you have, you know that fires are really bad news because there's dry fuel everywhere. And in places like Southern California, there are hot winds every fall that make a fire spread like, well, well, I guess it spreads like wildfire. For almost a decade, Gene and I lived in the greater L.A. area, and almost every single fall it seemed like our house would be filled with the smell of smoke. In fact, our oldest daughter's birthday is in October. And almost every single year, her birthday party smelled like smoke. Our eyes would be burning. It's just one of the joys of living in Southern California. You only think they've got one season there because that's what they say. But in reality, they've got several seasons. They've got fire season and mudslide season and earthquake season and smog season. There are lots of seasons in Los Angeles. And fire season every single fall is one of the worst of them. Fires in the desert are a really bad thing. People lose their homes. So try to imagine the panic Moses must have felt when he notices this bush that's on fire. You can't ignore that because the potential cost is just too high. So the Bible says that Moses stepped off the path to go and investigate this bush. And that's when he discovers this is no ordinary fire. It's actually The presence of God. Here's what it says now in Exodus chapter 3. This is verse 2. Listen carefully to the details. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. So who is it? It's the angel of the Lord. So he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. Now, in the Bible, fire often represents the presence of God. You'll notice that when God appears on Mount Sinai, the top of the mountain is burning. On the day of Pentecost, when God arrives in a room full of disciples, there are tongues of fire on their heads. The second coming has a lot of fire associated with it, and the book of Hebrews reminds us that, quote, our God is a consuming fire. Now, that that doesn't mean that every single mention of fire in the Bible represents the presence of God, but generally speaking, you will find some fire when God puts in an appearance. So, even before the Bible explains what's happening in this story, we have an indication that God is present. The burning bush is the presence of God, and Moses goes to take a look. Now, it continues now in Exodus 3 and verse 4. So, when the Lord saw that he, that's Moses, turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. Now, you know what I find fascinating? God doesn't actually say anything to Moses until Moses gets off the path. Moses has to respond to the presence of God before God talks to him. And I guess the reason I find that so interesting is because sometimes... I find myself wondering when I might hear from God next. Months will go by, maybe years, and I I don't really see God doing anything or speaking to me directly. 
I mean, you might have a dramatic experience at one point in life, this moment when it's obvious that God is real, but then it's almost like someone turns off the tap and heaven falls silent and life just goes back to normal. It could leave you wondering where God went. It leaves you wondering, will I ever hear from him again? But pay attention carefully to this story because there's an interesting detail. God does not speak until Moses leaves his path. Is it possible sometimes that before you get to hear God speak, you're going to have to leave the path you've chosen to travel? Is it possible you may not hear God until you give up your own plans, until you go to where the presence of God is? It's a very real possibility. Moses steps off the path, and then he hears the voice of God. Now, what's really interesting about this story is the way that God is introduced. It says that, God's voice calls out from the bush, but then it introduces the person in the bush as the angel of the Lord. So now you've got to ask, which one is it? Is this just an angel, or is this God speaking? Because the Bible actually says it's both. It's the angel of the Lord, and it's God speaking. And and then when the angel of the Lord speaks, he identifies himself as God. Listen to verse 6. This is Exodus 3, verse 6. Moreover, he, that's God, moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. There's no question about who's in the bush. The Bible says it is God. So why in the world does it call him an angel of the Lord? Actually, it doesn't call him that. What it calls him is the angel of the Lord, which is a very specific title. You see, the word angel in the Bible doesn't necessarily mean a heavenly angel with wings. It doesn't mean the kind of being you see on a Christmas card. Sometimes the word angel simply refers to a messenger. Now, it might be a heavenly messenger like Gabriel, but it also might be a human messenger, which is why the bishops of the churches in Revelation 2 and 3 are called the angels of those churches. The word in Greek, agalos, simply means messenger. And sometimes, sometimes, when the Bible uses that expression, it appears to be talking about God himself. In fact, it appears to be talking about Jesus before he is born as a human being. Now, I have to be really careful with this, because there are groups of people who teach that Jesus is nothing but a created angel. And they use passages like this one to make their case. But biblically speaking, nothing could be further from the truth. The rest of the Bible makes it abundantly clear that Jesus is the divine Son of God, the second member of the Godhead. Jesus is not a created angel. At the burning bush, you'll notice the Bible doesn't say it was an angel of the Lord. It says it was the angel of the Lord. And what's really interesting is that the angel of the Lord never makes another appearance in the Bible after the birth of Christ. All the way up to the manger in Bethlehem, you have the angel of the Lord delivering messages, but then after Bethlehem, no more angel of the Lord. Is it possible, and again, I want to be really careful with this, but is it possible that the angel of the Lord is Jesus? Again, please understand, I want to be so clear about this. I am not, I am not saying that Jesus is anything less than God. Don't misunderstand. I am not saying that Jesus is an angel. 
except in the sense that he delivers his own message. Because, of course, again, an angel is simply a messenger. You and I can be messengers. Cherubim and seraphim can be messengers. But apparently, Jesus can deliver his own message. And in that sense, and only in that sense, we can say Jesus is an angel, a messenger. He's the angel of the Lord. Not a created angel, but the angel of the Lord. In Exodus chapter 3, this is really obvious. It is the angel of the Lord who speaks from the burning bush. And then that same angel of the Lord clearly identifies himself as God. Now, this is actually something that Bible scholars have long recognized. And maybe the clearest explanation comes from the famous Methodist theologian, Adam Clark. Now, if you've never read the Adam Clark commentaries, you should probably get your hands on a copy or look for it online because, man, they just don't write them like that anymore. It has got so much depth to it. And and, and when it comes to Exodus 3, Adam Clark is decisive about identifying who the angel of the Lord is. He points out that Hagar actually worships the angel of the Lord. And when Moses tells her story in Genesis 16, he uses the name Jehovah, to describe the so-called angel that Hagar worshipped. Now, I know you can't see me, but I'm actually making finger quotes in the air when I say the word angel, because we're just using it to mean messenger. The Bible scholars of yesterday identified this particular angel, again in quotation marks, they identified this particular angel with Jesus. Now, if that's a brand new concept, if you've never heard that before, I'd like to recommend that you pick up a copy of our new book, Jesus before Jesus, which you can find at our website, vop.com. Now, if you don't find the book on the homepage, just click on the store tab, and I'm pretty sure you'll find a copy there. That book is a somewhat detailed study on the Old Testament appearances of Jesus, and it demonstrates that the same God has been guiding the story of salvation all the way from the Garden of Eden to the second coming of Christ. Jesus is not a second-string player who suddenly shows up in Matthew chapter 1. He's the same God who's been there all along. So, if you want to see just how incredibly detailed the plan of salvation really is, then please, just get your copy. And I promise you, it won't break the bank because I've made it really, really cheap. You'll find it, Jesus before Jesus, at VOP.com. Now, I have to take a quick break, but as soon as I come back, I'll show you how Jesus himself told us it was him who spoke to Moses. Are you searching for answers to life's most difficult questions? Answers to help you make sense of the things that are happening right now in your life? Answers to the deepest questions in life, like, can God really forgive me? Guilt and shame can be terrible burdens to carry and can leave us wondering if God really can love us and accept us. Are you wondering if there really is a chance for true happiness in this life? If there is a secret to living a happy, contented life in a world of uncertainty? Well, if you're searching for answers to these and other of life's most challenging questions, we are here to help. The Discover Bible Guides will help you find the answers you're looking for. Visit us at BibleStudies.com or give us a call at our toll-free number, 888-456-456. 7933 for your free Discover Bible Guides. Study online on our secure website or have the free guides mailed right to your home. There is never a cost or obligation. The Discover Bible Guides are our free gift to you. 
You'll find answers and guides like, Does my life really matter to God? And from guilty sinner to forgiven saint. You'll find answers to the things that matter most to you in each of the 26 Discover Bible Guides as the major themes of the Bible come to life. Begin your journey to discover answers to life's deepest questions and log on today to BibleStudies.com. Okay, we are back from the break and you are listening to the Voice of Prophecy. My name, Sean Boonstra. Today we're visiting the burning bush of Exodus chapter 3, and we're talking about the way that the Bible calls the being in that burning bush the angel of the Lord. But then it goes on to clearly identify that same being as God himself. And that's the reason that major Bible scholars have often said the angel of the Lord is none other than the pre-incarnate Jesus. In other words, this is Jesus before he is born as a human being. Now, theologians have a fancy word for that. They call it a Christophany, literally a revealing of Christ. And particularly in the early centuries of Christianity, you have a lot of writers, the church fathers, who identify the angel of the Lord with Jesus. Now, again, that doesn't mean they thought he was anything less than God. It simply means that the angel of the Lord is one more title for Jesus. Remember, the Bible also calls him the Prince of Peace, but he's not a literal earthly prince who lives in a palace. It's one of his titles. When the Bible calls Jesus the Angel of the Lord, it's simply identifying an occasion when the second person of the Godhead is delivering a message to the human race in person. And maybe one of the strongest indications we have that the burning bush was actually Jesus comes from the words of Jesus himself. The religious authorities in the first century were eager to prove that Jesus was a false prophet because some of the things that Jesus was saying really upset them. So, in John chapter 8, when Jesus said, If anyone keeps my word, he shall never see death, these guys almost went into orbit because Jesus was actually suggesting that he was greater than Abraham because Abraham, obviously, was dead. And what really upset them? Jesus told them that Abraham had been waiting for him, for his birth. So now these guys were frothing because Jesus was obviously calling himself the long-awaited Messiah. And then Jesus drives home the point. He told them he was the one who spoke to Moses. Most assuredly, I say to you, Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. That's John 8, verse 58. I am. That's the title God used in the burning bush that day. Moses, you go tell the children of Israel, I am sent you. Jesus was actually saying he predated Abraham, and he uses the same name God used in the burning bush. Now that made the crowd want to kill him, because Jesus had just declared his divinity, which would have been an act of blasphemy if it didn't happen to be true. Jesus is not only the Son of God and the Son of Man. He is not only the messenger of the Lord, the Prince of Peace, the Everlasting Father, the Mighty God. He's all those things. But according to the Bible, He is also the Great I Am, one of the biggest, grandest titles for God. Isaiah 41, verse 4. I, the Lord, am the first, and with the last, I am He. 
This is a title where God declares his self-existence. Isaiah 43, understand that I am he. Before me there was no God form, neither shall there be after me. Isaiah 48, listen to me, O Jacob and Israel. I am he. I am the first. I am also the last. I am. God is self-existent. He is uncreated. He is underived. He is unborrowed. God does not depend on anything else for his existence. And on that day, in the presence of those leaders, Jesus declared the same thing about himself. He didn't just come from God. He is God. Jesus is the voice in the burning bush. And Paul makes that abundantly clear in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, when he specifically says that Jesus traveled with Israel from Egypt to Canaan. Now, I want you to think about what that means. From the very moment we sinned, Jesus has been present and active in the plan to save us. Jesus is the seed of the woman you read about in Genesis chapter 3. He is the one who came to destroy the devil. Jesus is present in the life of Abraham. He's the one who speaks to Abraham like a friend. And now that it's time for the children of Abraham to go to the promised land, Jesus personally appears to Moses to get the ball rolling. Now, modern Christians naturally look to the manger in Bethlehem as the beginning of Jesus' story. But in reality, it starts a long time before that. The Bible talks about the Lamb of God who was slain from the foundation of the world. The cross of Christ was a plan that fell into place thousands of years before it actually happened. The cross was not plan B. The cross was not an afterthought. The cross was not something God the Father thought of and then he passed off to his son. The Bible reveals that Jesus has been working on the plan to save you from its very inception. Peter writes in 1 Peter 1, He was foreordained before the foundation of the world. Now, I'm about to take another tiny little break, but before I do that, let me just remind you about our new book, Jesus Before Jesus. Sometimes one of the biggest mistakes we make as Christians is to start telling the story of Jesus from Matthew chapter 1, and obviously the story gets really compelling after Jesus is born. But it's not the beginning of the story, not even close. And in some ways, we have lost the ability to see Jesus in the Old Testament. I mean, obviously, we know about the Messianic prophecies. We know Jesus would be born in Bethlehem, that he would die for our sins. But Jesus actually interacts with us a long time before he's born. And that's a really important part of the story. And once upon a time in our Christian church, everybody knew this stuff. But for some reason, we eventually drew this sharp dividing line between the Old Testament and the New. Some of us have even started to suggest that salvation was different in the Old Testament than it is in the New. But I'm telling you, the plan to save you has never changed. And once you begin to see Jesus in the Old Testament, once you see how he interacts with us, this is really obvious. So I want you to have this book. Now, honestly, I'd love to give it to you for free, but I can't afford to do that. Because if I did that, I'd be out of business in a matter of weeks. But what I have done is made it really, really cheap. You'll find it at our website, vop.com. And if you don't see it on the homepage, maybe you're listening to a rerun somewhere out on the Internet. If you don't see it on the homepage, look for it under the tab or link marked store. And I'm pretty sure you'll find it there. It's called Jesus Before Jesus. And maybe while I'm taking this little break, you can get online and go find the book. But whatever you do, don't go away, because in a matter of just mere seconds, I'll be right back. 
Life and its daily challenges can weigh us down, even when we have the best of intentions, leaving us with more questions than answers. Is it possible to have true peace and happiness in life? Are you searching for answers to this and other of life's most challenging questions? The Discover Bible Guides will help you find the answers you're looking for. Visit us at BibleStudies.com or give us a call at 888-456-7933 for your free Discover Bible Guides. Study online or on our secure website or have the free guides mailed right to your home. There is never a cost or obligation. The Discover Bible Guides are our free gift to you. Find answers in guides like The Secret of Happiness and Is God Fair? You'll find answers to the things that matter most to you in each of the 26 Discover Bible Guides. Visit BibleStudies.com and begin your journey today to discover answers to life's deepest questions. As you begin to unpack the story of the burning bush, you discover that, yes, it was God in the burning bush. But if you read the whole Bible, it seems to indicate that Jesus was the member of the Godhead who spoke to Moses. And when you couple that with the fact that the Bible calls Jesus the Creator on more than one occasion, you suddenly get this stunning picture. The God who made you is the same God who saves you. And of course, when Jesus appears to Moses, that is not the end of the story. He didn't give Moses this really tough assignment. Hey, Moses, go take the children of Israel out of Egypt. He didn't give him that assignment and then leave town. The Bible reveals that Christ was present with the children of Israel all the way through the desert. I mean, just listen to what it says in Exodus chapter 13 and verse 21. It says, And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead the way, and by night in a pillar of fire. Now, again, if you compare that to 1 Corinthians 10, it's obvious that the presence of God in that cloud was Jesus because Paul actually names him by name. But then in Exodus 14, it calls Jesus the angel of God. Listen to this, Exodus 14:19, And the angel of God who went before the camp of Israel moved and went behind them, and the pillar of cloud went from before them and stood behind them. Now, I hope you were paying attention because that was important. The angel of the Lord is the presence in the cloud. The angel of the Lord is not a created being. It's a title for God himself as he delivers a message to his people. And that's really obvious from the way the Bible uses all these different expressions to identify the presence in the cloud. Sometimes, like with Paul, he's called Christ. Other times, he's called the Lord. And sometimes, the angel of the Lord. Now, here's what I want you to think about, because this isn't really about some people who lived thousands of years ago. This is actually about you. When Jesus activated the plan of salvation, when he started down that path to the cross, he didn't leave a single detail to anybody else. Why? Because your salvation matters to him personally. He took charge of the whole plan from beginning to end. There's not one moment where he let someone else handle your case. And if Jesus was there all the way from Eden to Bethlehem, if he has always been with his people, you can be sure that he's always been there from the day you were born to this moment right now. I know there are times when you feel like you're on your own. There are times when you wonder if God has been paying attention. But the way the Bible reads, God is so completely engaged in your story and the story of the whole human race that I can guarantee he has not missed one beat. 
He has noticed every moment of your life. He has noticed every tear you've ever shed. He has seen every lonely moment, every moment of rejection, every day when you are ready to call it quits. He saw it all. And just as surely as God steered human events to bring about the birth of Christ, He's also steering human events toward the second coming. And while God never violates your freedom, I mean, you are free to reject Him. You're free to go your own way. If you just step off the path of your life to investigate God for a moment, you will notice that He still speaks from burning bushes. I mean, it might be a small, still voice. It might just be this burning desire in your heart, but I'm telling you, God still speaks. And when you listen, you're going to discover that He still has a plan. He's willing to partner with you on the rest of your life. He's willing to make you part of His strategy to bring about the kingdom of Christ. You know, after 40 years of leading these stubborn people through the desert, Moses actually blows it in the last few moments. He gets to the end of his career, and then he's not allowed to go into the promised land. Why? It's because, just like the other Israelites, in a moment of weakness, Moses failed to believe. God said, look, Moses, I'm going to provide water for this thirsty nation. It's going to be a miracle. But then Moses blows it. He makes the miraculous occasion all about himself. He takes credit for the miracle. He hits the rock twice. And in doing that, he distorts a powerful symbol for Jesus, because Jesus obviously was only struck once. He only died once. The water that came out of the rock miraculously was supposed to be symbolic of the life that would flow from the great I Am, from the ultimate rock. Whoever drinks the water that I give him will never thirst, Jesus said. But in a moment of weakness, Moses changes that. He takes charge, and he fails to believe that Jesus, I mean, at least for a moment, he fails to believe that Jesus is really all you need. So he has to suffer the consequences. He has to pay the wages of sin, which the Bible says is death. And maybe that's what you've done. Maybe you know that God is out there somewhere. Maybe you know he's been trying to get your attention. But you look at your life and you can see that you've blown it. You tried to take control. You tried to stay on your own path. And now you're in trouble. Here's what I want you to notice. Even though Moses did have to die, God himself performs the funeral. He was there the day you were born. He's been there every day of your life. And if Jesus hasn't returned, the flame of his presence will be there the day you die. He doesn't miss a single detail because he's completely invested in you to the point of giving you his own life. Where shall I go from your spirit, the Bible says? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, that's an old Hebrew word for the grave. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. Those are the words of Psalm 139. And if I were you, I would spend a few minutes reading the whole thing because it proves God has not abandoned you. The real question is whether or not you've abandoned Him. And if you have, it is still not too late to step back off the path and visit the burning bush. Thanks for listening. I'm Sean Boonstra. You've been listening to The Voice of Prophecy. Are you searching for answers to life's most difficult questions? Answers to help you make sense of the things that are happening right now in your life? Answers to the deepest questions in life like, Can God really forgive me? 
Guilt and shame can be terrible burdens to carry and can leave us wondering if God really can love us and accept us. Are you wondering if there really is a chance for true happiness in this life? If there is a secret to living a happy, contented life in a world of uncertainty? Well, if you're searching for answers to these and other of life's most challenging questions, we are here to help. The Discover Bible Guides will help you find the answers you're looking for. Visit us at BibleStudies.com or give us a call at our toll-free number, 888-456-7933, for your free Discover Bible Guides. Study online on our secure website or have the free guides mailed right to your home. There is never a cost or obligation. The Discover Bible Guides are our free gift to you. You'll find answers in guides like, Does My Life Really Matter to God? and From Guilty Sinner to Forgiven Saint. You'll find answers to the things that matter most to you in each of the 26 Discover Bible Guides as the major themes of the Bible come to life. Begin your journey to discover answers to life's deepest questions and log on today to BibleStudies.com.